the real reason for the invention of the Internet. We're pushing the ultimate frontier here. Control must be maintained. TalkZone.com This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. What's it like to be a member of an inner-city street gang selling drugs to crackheads? We'll talk to a man who was there for a decade and studied the gang from the inside out. The street gang often becomes a place where young people can go just to find work and the hope of getting ahead. So they look and they see a fast food restaurant or they see a street gang. Often the gang becomes, in their minds, a better choice. Then, nearly 20% of young adults are battling personality disorder, yet few are treated for it will have the disturbing facts. These problems are quite common and more troubling still is that only a very small portion of the young people who are struggling with these problems receive treatment. Don't go away. These two interviews and more are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stick around. The show begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. What happens when a sociologist infiltrates a gang of crack dealers on Chicago's South Side, and what can we learn from his research? His name is Sudhir Venkatesh. He's now a professor of sociology and African-American studies at Columbia University, and he's author of Gang Leader for a Day, A Rogue Sociologist Takes to the Streets. First of all, let's set the scene here. You were a first-year grad student wanting to study life in the inner city. So how did you get started doing that? Well, I really wanted to understand how young people grew up in poor neighborhoods. So I took a clipboard with my questionnaire, and I walked into a very poor public housing project, a housing development, and I started asking people a lot of questions, and I ended up asking a street gang who was in the lobby, and they thought the questions were so silly, they thought I must have been a rival gang member trying to infiltrate them. And they actually kept me there overnight, and over the course of that evening, while I couldn't go anywhere, I struck up conversations with some of these young kids, and that's how the journey began, really, just befriending a gang leader and then staying with them for about almost a decade. At first there, did you fear for your life, or did you feel you were at risk? You know, I wasn't actually that scared because I was so out of my element. I had just come from a California suburb. I had no exposure to the inner city. So here I am in the stairwell thinking, well, I wonder if this is what all sociologists have to go through. And these guys were taunting me or yelling at me, but they also asked me what it is that I was interested in. And then when I met this gang leader, JT, who actually had a college degree and was a really interesting guy, he actually said, you know what, you can't ask these questions. You really have to hang around people. And I decided to take that as an invitation. They let me go. And then I came back the next day, and he laughed, and we became a kind of a mutual curiosity for each other, and he allowed me to come into his neighborhood and see what he does every day. And just to back up, this all came because a professor that you were studying under asked you to do a survey, and not really knowing what to do, you just walked right in and started asking questions. Is that right? Yeah, I was working on several research projects, and I needed to get more skills before I could join. So I thought, hey, why don't I just make up a survey and go into some of these neighborhoods and learn how to ask questions? And none of my professors knew what I was doing, and they probably wouldn't let me do what I was doing if they knew. The types of things that you learn that you talk about in your book are not things that most people have ever heard about. What was that like being in that gang, which 
dealt crack and I guess lived in very poor environment there. What was that like? We're talking about neighborhoods where people are living off $10,000 a year, a lot of them. And so I was in a neighborhood for about 30,000 people where mostly everyone's on welfare. It's an African-American community. And there they don't have a lot of options since the majority of people aren't working. The street gang often becomes a place where young people can go not only just to find work and a little bit of money, but to find meaning and the hope of getting ahead. So they look and they see a fast food restaurant or they see a street gang. And often the gang becomes, in their minds, a better choice. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's really not because when the leader is going to make $100,000, most of these kids are making minimum wage and they're risking their life. So it's really not the best choice to make. You also found there was a strong sense of community, even though there were so many hardships. Tell us a little about that. When I started the work, I would ask parents, why don't you just get rid of your street gang, or why don't you come together and get rid of them? And they said, that's really hard to do because there are nephews, there are nieces, there are sons and daughters, our neighbor's sons and daughters, and it was not as though it was an alien group that was coming into the neighborhood, so they had to find ways to come around their young people and steer them in the right direction. The other difficulty was that when I talked to the police and we'd be looking at people selling drugs, I'd say, why can't you stop this? A lot of them would say, if I arrest that group, there's another one right behind them. So my job as a police officer is made more difficult, and I just try to make sure that things don't get out of control. And that's a lot different than where I grew up, and I think that's partly because of the scale of problems in many inner-city communities is so great that often the Band-Aid becomes the only solution possible. Our guest is Sudhir Venkatesh. He's professor of sociology and African-American studies at Columbia University, and he wrote a book called Gang Leader for a Day, A Rogue Sociologist Takes to the Streets. Sudhir, how big a factor would you say racism is in the situation these people find themselves in? I think in a city like Chicago, where this research was carried out, you can't ignore the complexity of race. I mean, it still remains one of the most segregated cities. And here we're talking about it in the context of having an African-American president who comes from Chicago's South Side. So it's quite an achievement. We've come a long way. But still, what we're seeing in many cities is you still have New Orleans, New York, Chicago, a segregated group of very poor, low-income African-Americans who remain unable to get ahead and take advantage of what America offers. So it's part a poverty issue, and it's definitely also a race issue. In the years that you spent hanging out with JT and other gang members, did you see a lot of violence? Did you see people using guns? I had actually been caught up in a couple drive-by shootings, and they were really quite disturbing episodes because... You know, you'd have a car come by with young people in it from a different rival gang, and they'd be shooting. And these are kids who don't know how to use guns. They're just shooting in the air, so almost anyone could get hurt. And oftentimes, innocent people would get killed, as well as street gang members, which was also a tragedy. And you wonder, how can we stop this sort of thing? What can I do to stop this sort of thing? And again, I was strengthened by watching residents come together and try and work when they couldn't get the police to do much to bring the street gang leaders, to create some safety, to get their kids back to school. And really what the book is, about is an extraordinary effort by people to come together in difficult circumstances to just get by every day. In your time with the gang members, what would you say was the most surprising thing to you that you learned, or perhaps some of the biggest misperceptions people have about gang life? 
One of the most surprising things I learned was the degree to which gang members looked at their lives in a gang as work. They would call it work. And the gangs that I was looking at in Chicago were organized like corporations, little franchises in a way. They'd each have their little sales teams, they'd have sales targets, and the city would really be a collection of different kinds of gang franchises, all designed to sell crack. I had thought of it as people protecting turf, or you know, you look at the movies and then it's about family and, and a substitute family, but these young men and women really were there to make money. And that, I think, makes it hard to get them out of gangs, because unless you offer them another job, a lot of folks won't leave the gang because it's their only source of income. So, based on that, I guess you would conclude that gangs are not going to be going away soon. Well, unfortunately, now we're starting to see a resurgence of gangs because our economy is getting back into a recession and possibly worse. In the late 1990s, for a while, we actually saw gang activity and gang violence going down. But generally what happens is when the economy goes sour, people turn to crime and illegal activities to make a buck and to get by. Yet there are many honest people who live in urban America or in the inner city. What's their option? I guess they just pretty much have to turn a blind eye to that crime going on under their noses. I think it's difficult. The gang element in a community is such a small percentage of the folks who are doing the hard work and obeying the law and not in a gang by any means. And for those people, it's hard enough just to put food on their table. Having to negotiate a street corner, having to worry about how to get their kids to school safely, just are added burdens. And, you know, they actually don't have a lot of choices unless we inundate their communities with all of the kinds of things that other communities have around the country, social workers, psychologists, services, good parks, the things we often take for granted. They're going to be faced with really not much of a choice to make at all except to deal with the conditions they live in. Well, it sounds like this experience really changed you pretty deeply. I think this experience and this research helped me to understand the things that I often took for granted the resources that I had, the stability that I had in the home, my schools that functioned really well. It's not as though my community when I grew up in California didn't have problems, but when they had problems, they were able to marshal a whole battery of people and organizations to come to the aid, whether it was vandalism or domestic violence. You just don't have a lot of that in the inner city, and you forget how important that is sometimes. Have you stayed in touch at all with JT? I have. I've stayed in touch with JT. He actually left the gang, and unlike most leaders who go to jail or who get killed, he left the gang and decided to start some small businesses, and he lives on the south side of Chicago, and no one knows what he does, and he lives in obscurity. It's a fascinating book, Gang Leader for a Day, A Rogue Sociologist Takes to the Streets, and the author Sudhir Venkatesh. We really appreciate you joining us today on InfoTrack. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Next, many young adults are battling a troubling disorder, yet fewer treated or even know they have a problem. The shocking facts coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 